Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning to read at verse 13 again. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh or close near unto the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. We know the Lord will bless again the reading of his own word, but let's just bow for a moment in prayer. Father, take your word now, and may it find a lodging place in every heart. For the heart that is weary, may they be strengthened. For the heart that is wayward, May they be brought home again. But for every one of us, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be found again at the place, the foot of the old rugged cross where your son bled and died. Father, we ask for those who may not know your son as Lord and Savior who have come in this evening, we pray in Jesus' name that they will find themselves surrendering to him this evening, being born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood of of the Lamb. These things we ask you in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The Lord Jesus has been tried. He has been beaten. He is now battered and bludgeoned and bloodied. The Lord Jesus has had a night that many of us, if not all of us, could never, ever cope with. The Lord Jesus has been hit and taken from pillar to post. He has been arrested. He has been manhandled. They have smote him with rods. They have spat upon his beautiful face. They have pulled out his hair. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been taken from Gethsemane to Annas and to Caiaphas. From there to Pontius Pilate. From Pilate to Herod. From Herod back to Pilate. He has been scourged. He has been whipped and he has been beaten. The Lord Jesus Christ is bloodied from head unto foot. And the Lord Jesus Christ, his body stands as it were, mauled and mutilated by mankind whose breath is in his very nostrils. The Lord Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate and a rabble of Jews who cry for his death and his crucifixion. 
after he has beaten, been beaten with the Roman flagellum and strips of flesh has been torn from his very body. A crown of thorns has been plaited some four or five inches long and driven into his skull through the very skin, his flesh and right into his very skull itself. The Lord stands now and Pilate brings him out before the people and on three occasions he says I find no fault in him at all. Herod has questioned him and finds no fault in him at all. Even as he goes from there we read that old Judas Iscariot he finds no fault in him and throws the money back to the priest. Further on we read that even the thief Hanging on the cross whom simple faith have sang about tonight. He looks at his other friend on the other side of Jesus. And he cries that in him there is no fault at all. And then the centurion after Christ rests his head on a pulseless breast. Gives up the ghost and dies. That centurion he says this man was a righteous man. That Christ was just and he deserved not to die. Jesus saying that the thief or the devil, the prince of this world cometh, he says, and he findeth no fault in me. He finds nothing in me. Yet Jesus went and he bled and he died. Why did he die? Why did he bleed? Why did he take the pain? Why did he take the suffering? Why did he take the sorrow and the shame? Why did he allow man to do that unto him? The beautiful, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He who was very God of very God. And man of very man. Oh, the word was clothed in flesh. And he went all the way to Calvary. To die for you and for me. The only thing that anyone could find in Christ was your sin and mine. There was nothing in him at all. We told you how that old scourging of the Roman flagellum, the word flagellum means disease or plague, caused many to die and caused plague in those who survived it. Caused sickness and death and disease in them. And when Christ died, his stripes were told, by his stripes you were healed. That when Jesus went to Mount Calvary, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus wound his way from Gabbatha the judgment seat, down through the streets, the Via Dolorosa, and makes his way to Golgotha, when he hangs and bleeds and he dies, we're told that when Christ died, he paid for the debt of our sin. For the past, the present, and the future. That Christ paid it all. He cried, it is finished. Paid in full. And no more will we stand for the debt of our sin to all who are in Christ Jesus tonight. Oh, the glory of the cross. And the glory of the cross yet so terrible and yet so bloody. Yet within it I see the lovely Son of God and His great love for you and for me. Jesus paid the debt of our sin. The atonement that He made on the cross was not only for our sin but for our sicknesses 
And also the flagellumings he paid for all of the sicknesses of the mind and of the heart. He paid for the sicknesses of the body and of the soul. And for everything that you and I could ever amount to, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but praise his name. He washed it white as snow. Here Christ the King of glory hangs as a man upon a cross and he bleeds for your sin and for mine. Oh, how can you not love him tonight? How can you not sing his praises tonight? How can you not behold him? For when Pilate brought him out before the Jews and the high priest, he said, Behold the man! We looked at it last week when it means it's an element of surprise. Behold him! Look at him! Look at his state! Look at the state of this being! He is a specimen to be pitied in me. And oh, there was no mercy found. Bloody from head to toe. Visage marred more than any man. And he says, look at him. And as they looked upon Jesus, we find that they shouted without mercy or grace or compassion. Away with him! Crucify him! Crucify him! And we're told they took him to the judgment seat. In John's Gospel, chapter 19, we find in our opening verse, verse 13, it says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat him down in the judgment seat, a place that is called in the Hebrew, called the, the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. The word here, Gabbatha, it's a bit of a mystical word where people don't seem to fully grasp hold of its full import and understanding. But what we know is this, that in the Greek, the word for Gabbatha is lithostraton, and it gives the idea of a stone paved area. Many say the stones were small and it was mosaic tiles all around. And it was raised up so they called it the stone pavement or the stone paved area. It was outside because the Jews would not want to go in. Especially on a day like that they would become unclean. But they send in Christ and they send him in to be whipped and to be beaten and to be scorned and battered and bruised. And when he comes out, he's standing there as Pilate sits in the judgment seat. And as he sits at Gabbatha's judgment seat, we're told that he then pronounces the death penalty upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And they take him to Golgotha. We're told in John 19 and in verse, verses 16 and verse 17. Then delivered he him therefore Unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Get the import of that. These men with filthy hands. These men with religiosity. These men who could cross T's and dot I's. These men who came, who said they knew it all. And at Passover time, they're looking with the Lamb of God to appease a holy God. And they take Jesus, the Son of God, in their hands. And they lead him away to be crucified. These men take him down the Via Dolorosa. That is, through the streets of Jerusalem, the sorrowful way that Christ would die on a rugged cross. 
Verse 17 says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. So he's going from Gabbatha, the judgment seat, to Golgotha, the place of crucifixion, where a torture implement was awaiting him. As he got there, the crossbeam would be put into the ground, and he would be raised. And he would be raised between heaven and earth. And it's the sign that he is numbered with the transgressors. It is a sign that he's no no good for heaven and unwanted upon the earth. That's what men thought of our Lord. And that's what they thought of our Savior. In Matthew 27 and verse 33. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 22. In John chapter 19 and verse 17. They all use the word Golgotha. But in Luke's gospel chapter 23 and in verse 33, he uses the Latin word which is Calvary. Calvary is the Latin for the Hebrew Golgotha. It was usually said that a condemned criminal, as he left the place of judgment, those who made it past the whipping post and the scourging, it said that either nailed to the crossbeam as he carried the cross or hanging around his neck was his crime written upon a board. So everyone would see the justification as it were why this criminal would die. This is what he would be crucified for. For murder or for thieving or for whatever. We're told in John's Gospel also that in verse 19, Pilate wrote and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Here Pilate was saying, this is your crime. You claim to be the King of the Jews. This is your crime. Writes it on a board and it hangs from his cross. But friends, as he makes his way down through the streets of Jerusalem, we're told it was Passover when they came to slay the little lamb and to remember how God brought Israel out of Egypt through the blood of the lamb. Keeping this feast, we're told, that many were flocking and thronging the city of Jerusalem. And on the way in, they brought their little lambs. And on their way in, they usually got their lamb also. And they put the family name Upon the lamb. They hung it around the lamb's neck. And on the way in. As they came into the temple. This was their sacrifice to God. This was the appeasing for God. This was the blood that was to be shed. To atone for their sin. And their name was upon it. Saying God this is my offering for sin. To you. And as they brought in. All of these little sheep. We're told that the Lamb of God made his way out of Jerusalem with this inscription around him, written in Hebrew, in Greek and in Latin. In Hebrew, it reads like this. It's Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This is it in Hebrew. Yeshua, Hanozri, Wahimelech, Chayihudim. And this is what it means, friend. When you break it down, the Hebrews would have written the first letter of each word instead of the whole inscription. 
at Winifred on that board. Why? H W H. And in case you're not sure what Y H W H is, it was the inscription for the unpronounceable holy name of Almighty God the Father. It was Yahweh, Yehovah, and it was written around the neck of Jesus as they led him out. Little did Pilate know he was saying, This is the Lamb of God, and this is the Son of God. The words here, Yeshua Hanosre, Y H Wahumalak could be W or V for Jehovah or Yahweh. Hayihudim. Hayidim just really doesn't mean Jews. That's a, there's a study in this alone. But it means, here is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the king of Judah. He is the king, the lion who sprang out of Judah. He's the one who would come as a lamb and return as a lion. And here he has his father's name hanging around his neck. The name Jesus itself means Jehovah Saviour. And Jehovah's Saviour was carrying the cross. And Jehovah's Saviour was covered in blood. And Jehovah's Saviour was falling under its weight. And Jehovah's Saviour was making his way through the streets of Jerusalem. And Jehovah's Saviour was going up Golgotha's hill. And here we have him at around his neck. Listen to this. Something, something that caught me when I wrote this. I never read it anywhere and it dawned on me. Psalm 119. It is the longest psalm or chapter in the Bible. And it has some 176 verses. And if you read it and and you're reading especially the AV. Hope you're all reading the AV but that's another story for another day. If you read the AV. And you get the authorized version, you will read, it starts with the letter, or a, a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And as you go down, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There's 26 in the English, there's 22 in the Hebrew. And every time you, you read down some eight verses, there is a different letter. Each letter is the Hebrew alphabet down Psalm 119. Verse 1 at the start, there's a letter. Verse 2, or sorry, verse 8 finishes. Verse 9, there's 1. And goes on and on and on and on. And when you look at that, 22 times 8 is 176. Now here's the thing. I picked out the letters and how the inspiration of the Spirit would move upon the psalmist. And I said, Lord, there has to be a reason why you put those letters in your word. Because I believe this Bible not contains the word of God. It is the word of God. And every word is in it for a reason. And when you read it, when you look up Y-H-V-H or W-H for our English, when you look it up and come to the letter Y in Psalm 119, you will read, it goes, it's the word Jod, J-O-D. And that is the equivalent of the letter Y. Listen to what it says in Psalm 119, verse 75. I know, Lord, thy judgments are right. And that in thy faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. Christ going through the streets of Jerusalem. And in his faithfulness. He afflicted his son. 
Genesis 3 and 15, God promised a redeemer to redeem Adam's race. To redeem you and I from the curse of the law and sin. And he says, in your faithfulness, Father, you have let it all upon me. And you should rejoice that God was faithful. Here we have the letter Y. The second one is found in verse 33 of Psalm 119. Listen to this. I'll pick some of these out. You can read through the stanzas, each eight verses yourself. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep them unto the end. You will read in scripture how Jesus as a boy grew. He grew in the grace of God and in the wisdom of the Lord. And he grew in favor with man and with God. And he learned the statutes and he taught in the temple at 12 years of age. And he preached the kingdom of God everywhere he went from the age of 30 to 33 and a half. And he preached that the kingdom was among them because he was there. And listen to what he says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. I shall keep it unto the end. Right to Golgotha. Right up the hill. Kneeled to the tree. He still kept the very law and the word of God that you and I could never keep. And he hung and bled. And he died for you and for me. The next one is W or V. Y-H-V-H. It's the word boy. And it is in verse 41 I have chosen. You can maybe pick a different one. Listen to this. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. According to your word. The Lord said that he would send a saviour. And the saviour is under pressure. The body of Jesus is absolutely horrifically Torn to pieces. And going down the Via Dolorosa. He cries oh father. Father will you help me. And the Lord hears his cry. We'll look at it in a moment. The Lord brings him rescue. And the Lord brings someone in to carry his cross. The last one is again is the word hate. And you'll find it again in verse Psalm 119. And I want to read verse 39. Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. You're nailing me to the tree. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, he said. Your judgments are good. But you'll die. But you'll be in pain and in agony. Deep will call on the deep. At the noise of thy water spouts as he cries on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All thy waves and thy bows are gone over me. And the full wrath that you should have. And the full wrath that you will have if you're outside of Christ. The full wrath was poured upon him. They put around his neck. Yorhi, Wahi. In other words, Jehovah. And he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem. John 19 says, He bearing his cross went forth 
And he went a sorrowful way. There are two encounters briefly I want to look at this evening, just before we close, that Jesus had on the Via Dolorosa, that sorrowful way. The first one, we read about it in Luke chapter 23. He's walking down and it says in verse 28, but Jesus turning on to these women who are wailing and lamenting says, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Sister, have you wept over your family? For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never give suck. They shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what shall be done in the dry? This term speaking to the mountains and to the hills fall on us. This term is said three times in Holy Scripture. Three times. The first time that it is said, we find it in the book of Hosea chapter 10 and verse 8. When the Lord warns the northern kingdom of the house of Israel, he warns them of pending judgment for their idolatry and their spiritual adultery. When he tells them that he would send the Assyrian in and that they would have a time of punishment like never before. And of course, the, the Assyrian army came, the, the Assyrian army came and they took away the house of Israel, the ten tribes in the north, and sent them away, scattered them, as it were, to the four winds of the earth across Europe. And of course then, the second time it is written, is in our reading here in Luke 23, and verse 30, when Titus the Roman prince, who is coming into Jerusalem in A.D. 70, after they crucify the green tree, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told that Titus... And the tenth legion of the Roman Empire come. And they surround the walls of Jerusalem. And it said hundreds of thousands are murdered. Jesus warns them of it. He says, oh repent because there's a a great travesty coming. There's a heartache coming. There's a judgment coming. He's saying get ready, repent. And in fact those who believed in the Lord. He says when you see the armies encompassing about Jerusalem. Flee onto the hills. And those who believed in the word of God. Escaped Jerusalem. And every believer, every Christian would have escaped without hurt or harm. Are you a Christian tonight? Are you born again? Are you saved? What if judgment comes? How will you escape? Oh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, friend? And how would you escape? Here we have the second time. The tenth legion under Titus would go in. You see, ten is a number of perfect divine order. Perfect divine order. Here was the judgment that they put upon his son and the rejection of Christ. And they poured it upon Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The number 10, for example, there are 10 commandments. There are 10 plagues in Egypt. Of course then, the 10th legion under Titus. And of course, the 10th day of the first month is when they took the Passover lamb and brought him out. And here, at the time of God's perfection of divine order, with his name around his neck, Jesus makes his way to the cross at Golgotha. There's more to this story than meets the eye, isn't there? Simon 
was the other one whom he would meet. Let me tell you first of all about the third time this is used. It's used in Revelation 6 and 16. When the Lord warns, he saith unto the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide from us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? This is global. One to the house of Israel, one to the house of Judah, and now in the future it will be global. It happened when also Diocletian, the Roman emperor, fell. And it comes right through the whole Roman empire, right through papal Romanism, right into the now, into modern day, that we're looking now, when there's coming a time of atomic Armageddon, you can read that Revelation chapter 6 and you will find that the islands will flee away. That the bombs that will be dropped will annihilate the very ground itself. And you'll say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits upon the throne. Do you know who he is sitting on the throne? The Lord Jesus Christ. The face that was had his beard pulled out. The face that was spat upon. The face that was beaten. The face where they cast insults in his teeth. That face is the face that every man and every woman will stand before. And give an account of whether they receive Christ as Lord or not. There's no place to hide. You're standing on your own. What would you say? The second one, briefly, Simon was a man from Cyrene. We're told a centurion takes him and makes him, lays hands on him. Others say it means that he, they compel him to bear his cross. Christ is falling under the weight of it and he follows Jesus bearing his cross for him. You see, Simon was coming into the city for Passover and Jesus was going out to be crucified. Simon was coming unexpectedly. He didn't expect to find that day what he was going to find and to hear that day what he was going to hear and to see that day what he was going to see and to do that day what he was going to do. He was going to be religious and just bring the lamb. Oh, but he had not a coincidence, but a God incident, a divine appointment. He met Christ in the way. And when he met Christ... He was apprehended. And when he met Christ, he came into contact with the blood of the Lamb. He came into contact with the Son of God. He came into contact with the suffering Savior. And he came into contact with the cross of Christ. And when you come into contact with that friend, you will never, never be the same again. Never. Simon would have heard Jesus speaking, warning to these women. You know what his name means in Hebrew? Simeon, hearing. God heard his son. God heard the pain that he was in, knew the body. It means hearing. And Simon heard Jesus speak with love still to these women. These women were from Jerusalem. They weren't the Galileans who praised him at the start of the week. It's a different group of women. And here we're told Simon meets the Christ of glory. I believe Simon gets saved. What makes you think that? Romans 16 and 13, Paul says, we're told that Simon was the 
the father of Alexander and Rufus, Paul writes to the church at Rome. And listen to what he says. He says, salute or greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. I believe that Simon stood watching the Christ of glory, hanging and bleeding and dying, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's seen the temple and the veil being rent from the top to the bottom. We're told in Acts 13 and 1, there's a man called Simon there with others from Cyrene, gone out to do the Lord's will. Friend, when you have an encounter with Christ, you will never be the same again. Your life can never be the same again. I close in a moment. Thank you for your attention. It's been tremendous. There's there's a reason why the Lord went up that mount. We've looked at it in other parts of this three-part series, and you could get it if you want to listen to it, but he makes his way for Abraham was told to go and Abraham take thy son, thine only son Isaac whom thou lovest and offer him up Mount Moriah for me. And you see the name Moriah means visible of the Lord or chosen of the Lord. The Lord chose the place. The Lord chose the sacrifice. And the Lord watched it all. It is said to be the same hill which David, when David numbered Israel and God sent the plague. It's said to be the same hill which David went and found Aruna at the threshing floor and he bought it off him to worship the Lord that the Lord would stay the plague. And we're told with the stripes, with the plague we are healed. It is said to be the same place where Solomon built his temple. Well, the glory of God came and he says, my name shall be there. And when Jesus climbed the hill and they nailed him hand and foot, it says above him, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh's name on Calvary's hill. So that's why Mariah would have been chosen. I finish with this, thank you. I've read this before, I want to do it again. I think it would be very apt for this evening. Dr. C. Truman Davis from Mesa, Arizona did a study on the physical pain and what Christ would have went through in his crucifixion. You and I could never guess the spiritual side of these things. We would never know. We'll never be able to work it out. How he bore our sin and our shame. But listen to this. The doctor says this. Jesus is stripped to his loincloth. His cross is placed on the ground. Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action and allows for some flexion and movement. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down a nail is driven through the arch of each. The victim is now crucified. The cross is lifted up as he slowly sags down. This puts pressure on the nails in his wrists. 
hitting hard the median nerve, exploding, excruciating pain hits his fingers and arms and into his brain. The nails also tear the nerves between the bones of his feet. At this point, his arms fatigue. Waves of cramps sweep over his muscles, nodding them in deep throbbing pain, pushing himself up. His pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercoastal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get one short breath. And finally carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in his bloodstream. Cramps partially subside and spasmodically he is able to push himself upwards to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. It was undoubtedly during these periods that he said the seven short sentences recorded from the cross. As if his twisted joints, cramps and searing pain from the torn tissue of his back was not enough. Then comes a deep crushing pain. Deep in his chest as the pericardium slowly fills up with serum and begins to compress his heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump. The tortured lungs are making frantic effort to gulp in small gulps of air. The body of Jesus is now in extremis. And he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. And finally he cries, It is finished! And Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he paid your debt in food. Bless him. From Gabbatha to Golgotha. Simple faith, come and sing a couple of pieces for us and we'll go home. Friend, if you're not saved, we're waiting for you at the door. Speak to somebody before you go. If you don't know the Lord, I pray you do, for he done it for you. Simple faith, please. Hallelujah. Oh, bless your Lord.